Sound of Football with your host, Colin Summer, brought to you by WHIP. What is going on, guys? It is Down to Football, back with another episode. Hope everyone is doing well. I apologize in advance if I sound a little bit stuffy. I am dealing with a sore throat, some post-nasal drip. Sorry about that. Working to get better soon, hopefully. But I'm here to bring you an episode regardless because this is what I love to do. So just bear with me for the episode. Thank you guys for tuning in and staying up to date with Down the Football. I love bringing you guys this kind of content. So let's get right into it. So obviously we have our recap couple of interesting games this week. So right off the rip, I want to talk about the Jets-Titans game. The Jets secure their first win of the season by a score of 27-24. Obviously, the Titans going without their two best receivers in A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. Both huge losses. So, Zach Wilson went 21 for 34 with 297 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception. Probably his best game so far this year. Solid outing. The running backs had a different game. Not very good. 22 carries for 68 yards total amongst all the running backs, and they scored one touchdown. That touchdown came from rookie Michael Carter. Corey Davis had a little bit of a homecoming game against his former team. He had four catches for 111 yards. He led the team in yards. Also added a touchdown. I believe it was a game-winning touchdown or game-tying. Not really sure. Uh, It was a big touchdown regardless. Keelan Cole, former Jacksonville Jaguars receiver, had three catches for 92 yards. Jameson Crowder. Also had seven catches for 61 yards and a touchdown. And the defense was really the story in this game. Again, without Julio Jones and A.J. Brown, they didn't have much of a passing attack going. But the defense totaled seven sacks for the Jets. Uh, I noticed during the game, the Titans' offensive linemen were going down like flies. A couple of injuries happened, so that could be as to why the Jets had seven sacks. Ryan Tannehill went 34-49 in this game. Not too bad with 298 yards. Definitely a solid game, especially considering no AJ, no Julio. He also had a touchdown. Derrick Henry doing his usual thing. 33 carries for 157 yards and a touchdown. Jeremy McNichols, he is the backup running back. or He is mostly a receiving running back for the team. He had one carry for 11 yards, but he had eight eight catches for 74 yards. uh, And that led the team... So an interesting stat line right there. Cameron Batson had the only touchdown of the game. He only had one catch, and it was a two-yard touchdown. And the defense totaled one sack, but did also have that pick off of Zach Wilson. Jets secure their first win. Nothing left to be said. The Titans look like they are in ruins right now. Offensive line struggles, health struggles. We'll see if they can get back on track in a few weeks. The next game, I have the football team versus Falcons. This was actually a very, very wild game. The, Fal- the Falcons lose this one, 30-34. Washington secures the win. Taylor Heineke, I believe, has proven that he can be an NFL starter. He went 23-33 for 33 in this game with 290 yards and three touchdowns. Antonio Gibson had 14 carries for 63 yards and a touchdown. He also added two catches for 12 yards. Terry McLaurin, again, looking like one of the best receivers in the NFL. He had six catches for 123 yards and two touchdowns. J.D. McKissick, backup running back, not much on the ground, but had five catches for 44 yards and a touchdown. The defense only had one sack, no turnovers. The biggest thing with the football team coming into this season was their defense, that that daunting 
defensive line, you know, a ton of first-round picks, a lot of talent, and they really haven't managed to do a whole lot this year so far. So let's keep an eye on those defensive struggles and see if they can, you know, get things to become more fluid throughout the season. Matt Ryan, on the flip side of things, didn't have a bad game. He had 25 pass attempt, or he had 25 completions for 42 yards, 283 touchdowns. He did have four touchdowns. The team total had 99 rushing yards. But the story of this game is Corderell Patterson, uh, former Vikings kick returner, then turned wide receiver. Uh, used to be very good, then just hit, hit a pit. He just downfall, complete downfall, hit rock bottom. And now he's reviving his career as a running back slash wide receiver for the Atlanta Falcons. And in this game, he had five, he didn't really do much on the ground, but he had five catches for 82 yards, and he also added three touchdowns. So four touchdowns for Matt Ryan. Three of those came from Corderell Patterson. But just something to monitor along the season if, if Corderell Patterson continues you know, this hot streak of doing well. He's He's been very good to start the season. A lot of people thought it was slightly fluky, but he's showing consistency, so definitely that's something to monitor. Calvin Ridley had seven catches for 80 yards. He's been kind of lackluster to start the season, so this outing he definitely needed. A very solid game. No scores for him, but the catches and yards are nice. And the defense only had one sack. We don't really expect much from the Falcons' defense. They have virtually no one of amazing talent outside of Deion Jones. <clears throat> But that's it for that game. And then to me, although it wasn't really a you know some crazy high-scoring game, a super intense, it, it just needs to be talked about. The Bucks patriots game, obviously Tom Brady's homecoming, definitely you know not what he expected. But the Bucks do secure the win, 19-17. to Mac Jones also had a very solid game, but let me get into it real quick. So Tom Brady went 22 for 43 with 269 yards. No touchdowns in this game, so pretty much a very, very lackluster game. I'm sure Bill Belichick knew exactly what he needed to do uh, against Brady. Clearly, it worked. Uh, But the thing that is interesting in this game and wasn't really prominent last year was the Bucs running game. And last year, Ronald Jones was pretty much the full-time starter, obviously Fournette mixing in and then, you know, becoming... Uh, a very heavy usage guy in the playoffs, you know, playoff Lenny. But he had 20 carries for 91 yards in this game. Leonard Fournette is kind of a question mark because, you know, high-round draft pick was supposed to be an amazing running back coming out of LSU and never really hit his stride with Jacksonville. But now he's doing very, very solid with the Bucs. So, uh, you know, I keep saying monitor these things, but they're definitely just like very small pieces to the puzzle that you want to keep track of because, you you know, it's interesting. But Ronald Jones only had six carries to Fournette's 20, uh, but he did have 25 yards, averaged over four yards in those six carries, and added a touchdown. Leonard Fournette had no touchdowns. Mike Evans led the team with seven catches for 75 yards. A couple of other receivers finished around the same just below, but Mike Evans did lead the team in yards. The defense had four sacks, one interception, and one fumble recovery. The defense is obviously very good. But needless to say, Mac Jones had a very, very solid game, and I'll be talking about him a little bit more down the line. But he went 31 for 40. Way, that's an over 75% completion percentage with 275 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Now, the interception, I saw it as a very good throw. Just very unlucky what happened off the receiver's hands into the defense's hands. So I'm not 
Not too impressed about that interception, but the problem with the Patriots in this game is the run game was was literally non-existent. They had negative one rushing yards on the day. Damian Harris finished with four four rushing attempts for negative four yards, and some other guys barely they barely ran the ball in general. But just the negative one rushing yards is is not good. Looking down the line, you have to establish a run game that is necessary for any team. Jacoby Myers led the team with eight catches for 70 yards. Hunter Henry had four catches for 32 yards and a touchdown. The defense only had one sack, no turnovers. A low-scoring game, uh, obviously an interesting game because, like I said, this is Tom Brady's homecoming. But uh, the Patriots, although they game-planned well against Brady, the Bucs do still come out with the win, which should have been expected because the Bucs clearly have a better roster on both the defensive side and the offensive side of the ball. But... Moving towards future weeks, the Bucks were already having a little bit of a secondary struggle, and they did lose a couple of guys in this game. So we should monitor those injuries to see when, how long they might be out, when they might be coming back, uh, and and monitoring the Bucks' schedule coming up because if they face any daunting offenses, that could be you know a potential shootout game that might not go in favor of the Bucks. So it's something to keep an eye on. But those are the three games of the week. Jets take the Titans 27-24. Football team takes the Falcons 34-30. And the Bucs and Tom Brady's homecoming beat the Patriots 19-17. Also, I want to mention <clears throat> that might have been the quickest hug I've ever seen between Brady and Belichick. I mean, it was practically just like a little grab and go. Uh, I'm pretty sure they did speak after the game as most would think they did. Uh, I can't confirm that, but I'm pretty sure they did. So, for those who were like, oh, wow, Belichick didn't want to speak to him. That's just not true. Okay. All right. And then lastly, for our outstanding performers, I decided to add a tight end this week, and I'm going to continue to do this down the line. Uh, I want to do this because, and, and I know I only do offense because to me in defense, yes, there are star players on defense, but defense as a whole works works together. And you can say the same about offense, but obviously statistics on offense can can be separated from, you know, other players. But needless to say, Daniel Jones is my outstanding performer at quarterback. He had tw- he went 28 for 40 with 402 yards, two touchdowns. He did throw one interception, but it was a Hail Mary at the end of the first half. So I don't really count that. It's, you know, why not kind of thing. There's no damage done in the end. Why not? And he does unfortunately get the win against my saints but he looked very good in this game so and i'll be talking about that a little bit down the line running back david montgomery he had 23 carries for 106 yards two touchdowns he was just pouring it on all game but the unfortunate news is he did suffer a knee sprain and he will be out anywhere between four to six weeks it is a very tough loss for the Bears' offense, an offense that is already struggling. I also want to note that Matt Nagy... And I, 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 actually, I want to cut that off there because I'll talk about that in a minute. Wide receiver Tyree Kill had 11 catches for 186 yards and three touchdowns. I mean, speed. his speed is just unguardable at this point. He does this year in, year out. There's no solution to what he does. And then lastly, tight end Dawson Knox... Probably not the most prominent name, but he had five catches for 37 yards, two touchdowns. I picked up Dawson Knox because I did not think George Kittle was starting this week. And then I had news that Kittle was starting, so I left him in my lineup. Now, fortunately enough, I absolutely blew out 
the team that I was playing, but Dawson Knox was on my bench with five catches for 37 yards and two touchdowns. So that's really, really frustrating. But at the same time, I'm very glad that I got the win. But again, outstanding performers, Daniel Jones, David Montgomery, and Tyreek Hill, Dawson Knox, congratulations. You have made the list. Moving on, I wanted to talk about some notable takeaways from week four, just things that I kind of, just uh, that interest me. Uh, So first off, and this hurts coming from a Saints fan, but the Saints have easily become the most unpredictable team in the NFL. One week their defense is on, one week their defense is off. One week their offense is on, one week their offense is off. You know, you look at the Packers game, defense absolutely superb, getting us great field position, and then the offense is able to close it out with a score. Okay, 38-3 was the final score to that game. What else is there to say? Then we get dismantled by the Panthers the game after. And then we go to Foxborough and we beat the Patriots comfortably. And then we lose into overtime in the first game in the Dome with full capacity fans since before COVID. And we lose in overtime. I mean, again, all I have to say is we have become the most unpredictable team in the NFL. This is not a team you want to bet on. This is not a team you want to bank on. Don't trust the Saints. You know, it's hard for me to say because I'm a Saints fan. You know, we need Traquan Smith back. We need Michael Thomas back, and hopefully they'll be coming back soon. But in general, this is a team that can't be trusted. So just very interesting dilemma the Saints have have come across. The second thing, the Cardinals, in my opinion, are now the team to be in the NFC. Now, their offense was never a question coming into the season. Their offense, you know, they added AJ Green. They didn't, you know, I didn't think he would do too much, and now he is. He's not doing a ton, but he's doing a good amount. They add Rondell Moore through the draft, who's been a very solid wide receiver three for them. They still have Christian Kirk, DeAndre Hopkins. James Conner's getting a lot of scores. Chase Edmonds looks very good. The Cardinals are the team to be in the NFC. Now, after upsetting the Rams, okay, and I'll talk about that later. They upset the Rams. Actually, no, let me backtrack. Again, I said the offense wasn't the problem. The defense, however, was a question mark. They had a very lackluster secondary group. Uh, Linebackers were looking a little bit shaky. You know, they bring over J.J. Watt, but the, the defensive line is still a little eh. But their defense looks solid. It's nothing crazy. It's not flashy. And I don't think that's what anyone was expecting. But they're playing very solid, and they're playing enough to keep them in games. Not even keep them in games, but enough to keep the opposing offense down while the this pretty much unstoppable offense for the Cardinals is continuously scoring. So, you know, I look at teams like the Rams. Well, the Cardinals just beat the Rams. I look at the Seahawks. I see an atrocious defense, but a very good offense, needless to say. I look at the Packers. Yes, very good, but they have their downs. It, it happens. The, the Packers, to me, are just not the team to beat. And obviously, no one from the NFC NFC uh, East. And, you know, the Bucks are still up there. I have no problem with that. But the Bucks have shown some flaws. Definitely the Cardinals, you know, moving to 4-0 now especially, they're the team to beat. They look you know, not unstoppable, but they're giving me very, very reminiscent vibes to what the Chiefs accomplished during the season when they won the Super Bowl. That might be a stretch, but I'm I'm getting those vibes. Moving on. Mac Jones is steadily becoming the best QB from the 2021 draft class. I I don't, I don't see any arguing with this. Uh I don't really think it's a crazy takeaway, but it's notable. 
Trevor Lawrence obviously just lost to the Bengals. Trevor Lawrence hasn't really looked that great this year. Zach Wilson did just secure his first win, but has looked eh in his other outings. And I, I don't necessarily think that's on specifically Zach Wilson. Uh, the Jets organization as a whole is the Jets. The Jets are going to jet. That that's just that's just them. But Mac Jones, especially after his outing against against the Bucks, where he looked very very solid is definitely the best. I I can't say he is the best quarterback from this draft class because, one, it's a rookie year. Two, you never know what they're going to do down the line. But right now, so far, amongst what rookie QBs have accomplished, right in in this specific moment, Mac Jones looks like the most NFL ready. He looks like the best professional out of all of the first round rookies. Trey Lance obviously hasn't gotten starting time yet. But that could change because Jimmy Garoppolo was hurt with a calf injury, so something to keep an eye out for. So, And Trey Lance didn't really do that great when he replaced uh, Jimmy Garoppolo in the game. He had that one long touchdown to Debo Samuel, but only completed one other pass after that, I believe. It could have been more. That's just where I left off with that game. But who else? Who else? There's no one else in this draft class who is accomplishing what Mac Jones is right now. He he just looks very solid. He's playing smart ball. He's not making dumb throws. That's all there is to it. And I understand that the rookie QBs in this draft class aren't in the best situations. You know, Justin Fields, he just looked good this past week, but again, played played the Lions. So what does that really mean? Uh, I think that Justin Fields can be better, but again, Matt Nagy, which I will be talking about soon, uh, Trevor Lawrence now with Urban Meyer. Again, something I'll be talking about soon. No questions asked. Mac Jones right now leading the pack amongst rookie quarterbacks. Fourth, among five takeaways, Cleveland's offense looks extremely disorganized. The only thing that continues to be a bright spot in that offense is the lethal duo of Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb just went over 100 yards this past week. And Kareem Hunt also had a very solid game. He had a touchdown. Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb keep this offense afloat. Baker Mayfield just constantly looks so boomer bust to me. It's incredible. Now, the Vikings should have been an exploitable matchup. Uh, I'm not saying anything crazy, but a score of 14-7 is something that shouldn't shouldn't really happen. Uh, thankfully, their defense is good. But Cleveland's offense, it, and, and uh, it's surprising because Odell just came back. And I know a lot of people don't have a ton of faith in Odell. But I think what the Browns are really missing right now is Jarvis Landry. Now, a lot of times that safety blanket for a quarterback is a tight end or a big target. Well, in this case, Baker Mayfield's safety blanket is Jarvis Landry. And it's hurting them not having him. So hopefully they can take those offensive struggles and turn it around a bit. You know, beginning with the run game, the run game is fine. So I think they just need to, you know, stick with that, really try and get the run game going. If it's not working, then obviously resort to throwing. But something to keep an eye out for. The last notable takeaway I don't think is anything crazy, but Justin Herbert is a legit MVP candidate. The Chargers look very good this year. They look very solid. They just upset the Chiefs, not this week, but the past week. And then they go out and beat the Raiders as well. And Justin Herbert is playing phenomenally well in these games. Justin Herbert, obviously rookie of the year last year. A lot of high praise for him. Uh, He's a very smart quarterback, doesn't make dumb decisions. Uh, He does have the benefit of the doubt with a very nice offense. Eckler 
Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, a lot of very good targets. But he has asserted himself in the MVP candidacy. I don't think there's really any questioning that. I don't think it's anything crazy. I, you know, you might not even consider this a notable takeaway. But the, from what I saw in the Monday night game last night, he deserves to be up there. You know, he's amongst the Kyler Murrays and the, the Dak Prescotts and the Patrick Mahomes. He's up there. And there's no questioning that. So those are my notable takeaways from week four. Now moving on, I have thick and thin ice. What I'm going to be talking about here is three ideas. Not three ideas, but three things that are on thin ice and three things that are on thick ice. So I'm going to start with the thin ice first, actually. So obviously, a lot of videos surfaced of Urban Meyer with a very young woman at a club, bar, whatever you want to call it, uh, dancing on him, you know. The Jaguars team is already distraught. They're, they're, they're awful. They don't have much to play for. And now he's losing trust within the organization and his players. You never want to lose the trust of your players. And now the players are, are becoming uncertain as to why he's doing these things as a head coach in the NFL, you know, the biggest football platform in the whole entire world. It's just kind of crazy. He apologized to the organization, apologized to his family. It's He's, he's in some turmoil right now. Uh, but the Jaguars front office has made it known that Urban Meyer will have to regain this team's and franchise's trust. So he is walking on thin ice currently after that situation. Number two, Nick Sirianni's play calling is becoming more and more questionable each week. I had some problems with his play calling against Dallas. I thought it was absolutely brutal. It looked terrible, in my opinion. And then, although the score doesn't reflect a bad day from the Eagles, 42-30, to I believe, against the Chiefs, I just Nick Sirianni's play calling in very key situations is poor. Uh, and unfortunately, it's starting to look like uh, Sean Payton in the playoffs. Sean Payton's play calling in the playoffs just is uh, terrible, I, to say the le- to say the least. Uh, and that's what I'm getting. These those are the kind of vibes I'm getting from Nick Sirianni in those key moments of certain games. He just goes out and does something that's completely unnecessary and it just doesn't work. But the Eagles, you know, they to me they really had no expectations coming into the year. They had an interesting defense, an interesting offense. No expectations. But Nick Sirianni, to me, is not looking like a legit head coach. Obviously, there's a lot of season left to play. Maybe Deuce Staley should have been the head coach. Who knows? But Nick Sirianni, interesting. And lastly, (laughs) I think this guy might be on the thinnest ice out of them all. And I'm just going to straight up put it out there. Matt Nagy might be the worst head coach in the NFL. He's awful. We want to talk about awful play calling. We can talk about Matt Nagy. The only reason this team won against the Lions this week is because David Montgomery and the offensive line played well. Yes, Justin Fields had a, a, a solid game. Nothing crazy. A solid game. It got them the win. But Justin Fields' potential is slowly decreasing because of Matt Nagy. Matt Nagy needs to go. I'm very, I'm obviously you don't really see this er, fires early this in the season, but I mean the amount of complaints, the uh, it's terrible. I mean what Matt Nagy is doing as a head coach in the NFL for the Bears, you know, a team that can be decent. 
I mean, he is the reason that there are limitations to that offense. Now, the defense, to me, is middle of the pack. They, they've lost a couple of players, but they're still solid. And, and, and this offense, you know, A-Rob, Darnell Mooney, they have a good team. Like, they have a good offense. They have good players. But Nat, Matt Nagy is literally the reason that they cannot win games sometimes. And I think that he's got to be gone by the end of the season. And I, I think a lot of Bears fans would agree with that as well. Now, on the thick ice, people who are walking, or people or things that are walking comfortably on thick ice... So one, and I already briefly talked about him, Daniel Jones looks like he has a shot to be good. The offensive line is starting to play a little bit better than usual than we've seen in the past couple of years. Saquon Barkley finally got unleashed this past week, and we saw how much that benefited that team. Kenny Galladay was obviously a crucial addition, and he just went over 100 yards for the first time with the team. Things are starting to come full circle for Daniel Jones, and I think that this is what he needed. He needed... You know, decent offensive line play. He needed this, you know, what can be an all-pro running back to, uh, you know, recover from a, a brutal ACL tear last year, obviously. And obviously we knew he was going to be limited to start the year, but now he's finally being let go. And, you know, Saquon's doing well, and it's helping It's helping the offense come full circle as well. So Daniel Jones, I think, is finally in a situation where he feels comfortable. You know, he doesn't have to force things to happen. Obviously, losing Sterling Shepard, one of his favorite targets, hurts, but... You know, he turns and he says, okay, well, you know, we just signed this guy, you know, you might know him, Kenny Galladay, to a lot of money this offseason because he is one of the better receivers in the NFL. He's a big body target. He can go up there and catch anything. Solid route runner. Great red zone threat. Hasn't caught a touchdown yet, though, I don't believe. But the point is, there. I think people gave up on Daniel Jones a little bit too quickly. And the thing is, people didn't like him because of the turnovers. Now, look at it. I know it's only four games, but he's limiting those turnovers. Yes, the offense might not be getting a to, you know a whole lot done, but they look fine. They look fine. Daniel Jones, he has a chance. I think that they need to give him, you know, let him play out this season. I think he'll end up having a good season, but right now, especially after last week, I think he is comfortable where he's at. Cleveland's defense looks among the best in the NFL. I just talked about how bad their offense looked. But the good thing with Cleveland and how they're walking comfortably is that their defense is so good that it can win them games despite offensive struggles. I mean, we're talking about Miles Garrett, one of the best defensive ends in the NFL. No questions asked. Jadavion Clowney, I've always thought was overrated, but is getting pressure, and that's all they need him to do. You know, they go out and acquire John Johnson, one of the better safeties in the NFL over from the Rams. He's playing good. Denzel Ward, obviously a, a good, bright, young corner. Their defense is the reason why they are winning games right now, folks. The Vikings, they have a good offense. Kirk Cousins has been performing well. Justin Jefferson is, and, and Adam Thielen are a top-five wide receiver duo in, in the league. I know Dalvin Cook was kind of limited, but Alexander Madison had an amazing week the, the week before that. So they got it done. You know, it wasn't the offense that the, the, this week that got them the win. It was the defense. And, and you know, you could say that a lot about a lot of teams. But Cleveland's defense is legit. I mean, they dismantled Chicago last week. And I know that's not saying a lot. but And if they beat them and beat them comfortably and had a solid defensive day, then sure. But I'm talking about an absolute throttling. Okay, there's a difference. I mean, we're talking nine sacks here. 
But the point is, is that Cleveland should feel comfortable knowing that their defense continues to perform at a high rate. And all that they need to do is figure out their offensive kinks, and they will be a very, very, very good football team that will end up in the playoffs. My last thing, Aaron Rodgers' last dance, quote-unquote, might actually happen. Uh, I'm not big on this, but I do think that he is walking comfortably right now. I think that, you know, after week one, he was like, well, you know, if this is my last year. People thought he didn't care in week one. People thought he was just here to play, collect money, whatever. Since then, he has shown that he wants to win. What else is there to say? Not much. I know he beat the Lions. That's not anything crazy. He beat the Steelers this week. That was solid defense and nothing on offense, obviously. But he is showing that he cares. He is showing that he is still in it to win it. He is showing that he's not ready to host Jeopardy quite yet. But my point is, is that, again, a lot of people thought, you know, this guy is, is just here. He, he doesn't really want to be here. But over the last couple of games since week one, he has proved that he does want to be there. He does want to bring Green Bay one more chip. The likelihood of that happening to me is slim, though. All, despite having a very good team, I just see, you know, the Bucks, the Rams, Cardinals, I see them more as a threat. Uh, you know, I didn't really see much improvement on the offense. You know, obviously, when are they gonna, ever going to give Rodgers what he wants? You know, they could have had T, T. Higgins last year, but... That's not the point. The point is Aaron Rodgers is showing up. He's playing well. And it's giving Packers fans some hope. And I think that, you know, these last three weeks of him winning is enough to prove to the to the Green Bay organization and the Green Bay fans that, you know, he's here. He's here and he's here to win. Whether it's his last season or not, it 100% is his last season. I have no doubt about that. Not, not in NFL, but with Green Bay. He is here to win. So, Green Bay fans, you should be happy about that. Now, that is it for the week. I have one more thing, my locked-in and upset picks. I am moving to 6-0 on the year. Let's go. I picked the Cardinals to beat the Rams last week, or this week. Cardinals take the win. I also picked the Bengals to beat... The Jags is my locked in. Now, it wasn't, you know, it came down to the final moments, but I'm 6-0. And I just want to put that out there. So my locked in and upset picks this week, I'm going to take the Vikings over the Lions. It is a division matchup, and I always like to believe that anything can happen within a division matchup. But I do think that the Vikings can win this game comfortably. It, you know, they're a solid team. They just lost to the, to the Browns, but I do think they have a bounce back week this week. Uh, so I'm taking the Vikings over the Lions. I believe that is in Minnesota. And then I have the Eagles upsetting the Panthers. Now the Panthers just kind of got demolished by the Cowboys. So obviously they're going to look to bounce back next week. But, I, you know, I'm looking at the matchups this week and there's not a ton of like super notable matchups that have, uh, you know, that are reasonable in terms of like locking in and, uh, you know, upsets. But I do think that the Eagles can pull out a win here. Uh, it's just a matter of whether their defense can limit uh, what Sam Darnold has surprisingly done uh, on the ground. He's leading the league in rushing touchdowns right now. I don't think anyone was expecting that. It's kind of crazy to think about. But I think the Eagles can get it done. 
They showed signs of life last week against Chiefs. Their offense looked all right. Defense obviously got dismantled, but that's to be expected, you know, when you're playing the Chiefs. But, again, locked in, got Vikings over Lions, and then upset, I'm taking the Eagles over the Panthers. That is going to be it for this episode. I hope everyone enjoyed. Again, sorry for the stuffy, you know, mucusy sounds. It's just, you know, people get sick. Uh, but I hope everyone enjoyed. And I can't wait to bring you another episode next week. It, it's been fantastic. I, I hope you guys enjoyed. And I just have one last question. Are you down to football? Yeah.